Well, that sure was two more games here to cover on the Owls AmeriCast. Sheffield Wednesday Opinion with an American accent. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and I don't know if I can muster my usual enthusiasm for this week's show, which frankly has been waiting for the better part of 2021 now. But to help me along, I have an Omnipolo Daedalus. Uh, Omnipolo is a, well, they call themselves a beer camp based out of Stockholm. They don't actually have a physical brewery. They have their stuff brewed all around the world. Uh, this was brewed in North Haven, Connecticut and delivered to my house for free by 12%. Oh, well, the beer cost money, but the delivery was free. From 12% Beer Project in North Haven, Connecticut. Uh, they do a lot of orphan brewing stuff for various breweries. I found them through Free Thought, which is a Brooklyn-based uh, brewery. I had one of their sours on the show before. Found out they brew there. And they have like a rotating selection of stuff. This, however, is a double almond, double chocolate, double coffee imperial stout with lactose, sugar, chocolate, coffee, and almonds added. One pint, 12% by volume. So it's going to be one of those podcasts. Joining me has been drinking a little bit longer today than I have in New Jersey is Patty Jones. Patty, what are you drinking? Hey, Jeff. Um, I am on the IPAs today. Uh, regular IPAs, not my usual New England ones. I've got a, a Ballast Point Sculpin, which is a fine IPA. Uh, I got a box of 12 for my friends for my birthday, and uh, it's supposedly the best American IPAs. It's all like mainstream. Kind yeah. of like, uh, it's the grapefruit one is the Ballast Point? Uh, Sculpin. Sculpin, not grapefruit. Oh, it's just the regular one. They have a yeah. grapefruit one, too. Yeah, I think I heard that too. But yeah, they're all very average mainstream IPAs and they all taste very similar to each other. Uh, but this is not bad. I, I buy this point. Also on the line. So, New England Owl, Justin DeSorger. Justin, what are you drinking? Murphy's Irish Stout. Enough <laughs> said. <laughs> we are recording on St. Patrick's Day, and Wednesday did not have the luck of the Irish in their fixture against Hunter Shield. Or in their fixture against Norwich, which was not on St. Patrick's Day. We will review those two games because that's what we do every week, <laughs> I guess. Uh, we will also because we made a deal with the devil, Jeff. <laughs> we will cover the Wednesday news and preview the next fixture. Thankfully, it's only uh, I don't even know if it's two fixture week. I only saw one fixture on the agenda. That's only one fixture. Great, only one fixture. Yes. Yes. And then we get an international break as well. Oh, f- lovely. Oh, yeah, I saw Thank Liam Palmer got uh, selected to play in uh, Scotland's World Cup qualifiers. Sweet relief of an international break. He was actually not awful today, which is more than you can say for large portions of the squad. But, uh, Patty, what's your talking point from the last two games? Um, Oh, boy. it's. I feel like there's a lot to unpack here uh, in, in this is talking there? point. I feel there is because I feel like I want to get a little bit into. <laughs> I know you two have been giving up. <laughs> Look at both of your faces. <laughs> like, buddy, I don't give a shit anymore. Stop talking about tactics. We're going down. Uh, and I get that's what people in the podcast listening right now are saying the same thing. But I don't know. I, I really am interested in what Darren Bowe is trying to do and, mm. and not succeeding with. I, I, I feel like I feel bad for him that he's left with a bunch of lemons. Um, so let's talk about the first halves of the last two games, shall we? 
uh, and what's what's working uh, to some respect. Um, I made some notes during the Norwich game, which were was that we were trying to play out from the back, um, and it wasn't really working because we haven't got the talent or the skill. However, there's clearly a reason why good teams play out from the back, and what I can come to some kind of rough conclusion of my lack of uh, tactical now and knowledge. Is that it we're seems not obs- a good team? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the reason why I'm trying to get to why people play for the back mm. in the first place, it obviously it, it, it affects the opposition in a way where they have to come and get it off you a little bit. So it, it, it messes their formation up. And it, I think it brings space around the field, which is why people do it. Uh, and it was kind of working against Norwich a little bit. The first half, we were kind of like, discombobulated a little bit and we were getting some space and we we made uh, we made a decent effort of it uh and the first half today i thought we looked okay i'm not, I'm not gonna say the g word the good word i don't think we look good but we looked okay and there were, I liked... just, there were too many situations where kieran westwood had to come screaming off his line because of a <laughs> deflected back pass or someone hoofing a bouncing ball from midfield because they panicked as soon as a huddersfield player got anywhere near them and but what it is doing, what you can't... I mean, we have scored a, a few goals mm-hmm. in Darren Moore's tactics. We are still shipping goals left, right, and centre because of... And it's the, the both causes of this tactic, I think. The both causes of us trying to play out with poor uh, with poor players. Um, and I, I, I applaud him for trying it. But you just look... We just look like we're going to concede every single game. So even if we do score one or two, we're going to concede at least one often two or more uh and it's it's a nightmare to watch people like tom lees and uh, joey pelopesi and to some extent now julian bernard's giving a lot away as well he used to be quite good on the ball but some <laughs> some of his control and, and his kind of decision making is poor um and i'm not sure it's necessarily working so the thing I found really interesting about Moore is that he's been the four-two-three-one guy, right? And the first game that he came in, he played that, and it didn't really work. And he was flexible enough to go to three at the back. And what he did against Norwich, we actually played basically a five-four-one, did the same thing that Tony Pulis did when we stifled them before. Uh, so it, it was effective, I thought, for most of the game, considering how explosive Norwich is. You know, we were pretty solid defensively overall. Um, so I, I think that, you know, Moore has shown some flexibility, but Patty, you just nailed exactly what it is. When you have a 4-2-3-1, it's, it's often going to be possession-based, um, and you want to use the two most important players for you in that are your two holding midfielders, your two defensive holding midfielders. They're the ones who distribute the ball from the back line to the front. Okay, we play guys like Joey Pelopesi and Sam Hutchinson who are not good on the ball. And even Barry Bannon, who can be good on the ball, is not doing what we need, what Darren Moore would like his holding midfielders to do, which is shorter passes up to the front. Barry's banging it long. So he, he really comes back to what you said at the beginning. Darren Moore is trying right now. He's trying some things. He's remaining positive. The lying through his teeth he did at that post-game press conference about how hard everybody worked and how... <sighs> close they are you know i i say a point is progress he said it's good progress today <laughs> yeah but there it's... was nothing no progress today today was today was ter- like at what point the only goal that we had uh 
you actually could see what Jordan Rhodes was thinking. And you're thinking you're going to hoof that ball backwards over your head into some space and hope something happens. And it was, it was beautiful. It was a hideous play, but it worked because Windass is fast and strong enough to hold off the defender and finished. But if we're relying on that to get goals, like we're not a team that scores goals. And, and, and none of the tactics are going to help with that. Oh, what I thought, I see, so on against the today's games, I did see, I liked the way we set up today because I was saying to you guys in the WhatsApp chat that I felt like there's been a, there was definitely a new tactical feel. I know it's trying different things for different positions, he said today after the, after the game. Um, so we might not see this again, but essentially he had Adam Reach and Palmer as the wing backs. And what I noticed in the first half that Adam Reach had t- basically been told not to overlap. And, and to keep Windass and Kadeem Harris as that supporting flank for Jordan Rhodes. And they were going wide, but they were, they were mainly setting off in a central position behind Jordan Rhodes. Uh, and Adam Reach and Liam Palmer was very much, all, almost fullbacks rather than wingbacks. They'd come much further forward than that. And there was a really telling uh, point uh, midway through the first half where uh, I think it was uh, Windass that drove down the left-hand side and put a great cross for Kadeem Harris. And Harris obviously being five foot tall, like, blazed it over the top of the bar. Uh, but it was Reach that set that bourbon off from Windass. And usually Windass would kind of be on the byline and wait for a Reach to overlap. And then Reach would probably, I don't know, hit somebody or fall over. Uh, but Reach, you could see him ready to move forward. And he went, oh, and move backwards. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And he was constantly falling back quite a lot. So that I thought was a nice, it was hopefully to balance us a bit more. Um, but also it allowed Windass and Harris to be more focal attacking points. And, I mean, uh, Harris aside, uh, I feel like Windass has been a bit more effective, even though I don't like his attitude at the moment. I think he's playing for himself and nobody else. Um, but he's still got kind of crap players in these positions that I can see what Moore's trying to do still. And that it, it gives me a little bit of hope um, <clears throat> for what we might be able to do in League One. <laughs> Well, Patty, uh, to that point, you asked, you said you want to talk about the tactics and why it isn't working in WhatsApp. And I just responded, it isn't working because none of our players have a first touch or can pass. Yeah. And it is as, as horrible and, and that's as brutal get, as that. That's why they get stuck in the back, especially with like Pelopesi and yeah, Hutch. You can't the give that, the ball to Pelopesi and expect yeah. it to advance. <clears> you can it say it, like every field. time he touches it, it's I just, just see like his arms like flailing, like in <laughs> panic mode. <Yeah. laughs> it's not just his arms, his legs flail as well. He's like, ah! Like he's fine. Like, look, uh, he can. I, I look. He just shouldn't be doing that. He can probably do something at this level, but it's not that. He they're does other not, things. Yeah, they're not playing to his strengths. And like, you need like Liam Shaw. I thought came in and was immediately looked like the best player on the pitch. Like that's who you want in that holding midfield role. He can pick. He does pick the short pass. He's. You know, physically strong enough to hold off defenders if they try to clamp he's down. He's comfortable with spot. the ball. He's comfortable feet. with the ball. He moves well without it, and he can like pass and move in space. Uh, uh, the only problem there is he signed a pre-contract with Celtic. He won't be here past this season, right? And Master, we discussed uh, last week or a couple weeks ago. The other guy that would fit great in that is Massimo Luongo. Mm-hmm. Can't fucking get on the field. Yeah, yeah. Izzy know. Brown you know, picked Patty, up a knock in the under twenty-three game this week, and oh Jesus. Um, yeah, Dunkley's out for weeks, yeah. not or months, not weeks. Where I mean, weeks, I think they said days, weeks, whatever. but whatever. Whatever. None yeah, of this matters. He's done. 
You know, Patty, in, interesting that you sort of mention this now that I'm thinking it really just occurs to me. We're talking about more and maybe adapting to what we saw today was was a very different formation. It was almost like a, a three four three with wingbacks instead of outside midfielders, and they did stay back to give us that five four to five attackers. You know, maybe that's his way of trying to adjust. You know what some of his beliefs in terms of ball movement and possession and short passes with the players that he has at hand. It didn't work, but I appreciate that, you know, the, he, he does seem to be trying and I, and I definitely enjoyed that. I thought that was a very good substitution he made granted uh, one of them was for injury, but just the timing of it, given how we had given up a goal late, you know, and really run out of steam the previous game, giving up two goals late, you know, it looked like a nice way to rejuvenate some fresh legs and, and hopefully things going and of course that fell to shit pretty quickly when as Jeff pointed out Shaw just lost his guy unfortunately yeah, yeah it's the, so somebody pointed out on Twitter today that Wednesday have dropped I guess it's 25 points from winning positions now it was 23 at the time they mentioned it and sort of this idea that you know you think about like oh if they could just have only been half as bad in those spots they'd be not sitting pretty, but in, in good shape in the relegation scrap. But I do think it is kind of like a chicken or the egg thing. Like the reason we're here is because we keep dropping, like we can't defend and we can't defend. And that's gets uh, shown in those kind of stats, whether it's the also, first half, second half stats or the, you know, the points drop from winnable positions or whatever else you want to, whatever other metric you want to use. It's not that we can't defend. We can't score another goal as well, which right. we don't feel like we want to either. Both ways. Like, so, yeah, they go down early. They can't get back into the game. And if they score early, they can't hold it. So. Yeah, but on the, I was not, I think it was the 52nd minute. So seven minutes into the second half, yeah. we were already sitting back with everyone yeah. behind the ball inviting pressure. How many times have we done that in this season? I and mean, it always always ends up with the, with the opposition scoring. It's I think it's a lack of confidence. I don't think Darren Moore is saying to everybody, get behind the ball in 50, 52 minutes. It's something about... Pulis was. Oh, yeah, Pulis was, yeah. <laughs> I don't think Darren Moore is. But it's, I feel like it's, we've got like a PTSD. It feels like we're scared. As soon as we go up, we're like, oh, shit. We've well, scored. you can say what you want about... Retreat. The, whether his tactics and formation work with this squad, but they've had four different managers playing four different ways, and none of them have had any kind of sustainable success, so... That's why I feel like it's a player thing, right? It's the yeah. mentality. They have they are so shot. They've but, gone through <laughs> fuck they've lost in dramatic, horribly ways in, in the last like what well the last month. Two years. More. <laughs> but yeah, two years going back that. And they just they are shot. They're tired. Uh, Alan Biggs mentioned made a comment about their fitness and athleticism. Uh, these are some we've seen talent from these players before. They are just flogged to death. They're they done. don't they do. They don't know they've got an ounce of energy, an ounce of passion, an ounce of uh, effort in them. They are just done. <laughs> we have well, killed they've them. Been, they've been they've been marooned on a rudderless ship in the middle of an ocean storm for two years. You know, yeah. no direction, no support, no plan, nothing. They just bouncing around they've gone fucking nuts <laughs> <They've totally lost laughs> it. it's kind of it's kind of hard to blame them i mean i see all the online posts about not fit to wear the shirt and all this and that and it's like yeah you know you're not wrong but at the same time it's man put put yourself in some of these guys shoes and you know maybe if i am adam reach i am fucking 
counting the minutes till I get out of town. And Patty, like, kind of killed Kadeem Harris and what's up today. And I get it, but he was really good for his first few months here. And I just keep thinking that, like, this team especially just ruins wingers. Like, every winger that comes here. I don't know if it's the way we play or what we ask them to do. Or, or I can just think of so many, like, good like attacking flank players that have either shown here for a little bit and not had sustained success or kind of not had success here and then gone elsewhere and been good or been solid enough championship players. And yeah, I don't know what it is. Well, when we got Kareem Harris, I asked uh, my Cardiff friend who read on the podcast, Dave, and I said, this this guy in the first two months of Wednesday, he he looks the real deal. He's beating players. He's full of of confidence. Uh, At the time, he was putting good crosses in. uh, And he said, well, the reason we got rid of him was uh, the three or four wings we had, he was the worst crosser and passer of the ball. Uh, and that seems to have definitely borne fruit uh, over the longer term of his career Wednesday, right? His passing this season has been awful. His finishing is awful. He's only scored one goal, I think, for us yeah. uh, in the past year or something like that. Maybe like two or three in his entire career for us. He's 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 just really, really bad at passing the ball. Uh, I think he's still got pace and he can still do a trick and beat his man. But then what happens? Very little, usually. Well, we've also... Like, he really should be on the wing of a three up front or of a four two three one, And they haven't play, played him as a wing back. They played him as a full, out and out fullback at times. And look, he puts in a shift and got better defensively to when uh, that's how Monk wanted to play. So I have no real problem with Kadeem Harris. If, you know, like you said, if he could put in a cross, he'd be in the Premier League because of everything else he brings to the table. That's like that's the truth of a lot of wingers we get in championship yeah, level, true, right? So true. I think that's why, that's, it's why it's the championship. Yeah, so I think like, like you say that we ruin wingers. I feel like it's just the it's just the situation where we are. We ruin a lot of people to be fair with them. It's Wednesday. It's not just wingers. Um, but I feel like in the in the basement that we're shopping, uh, yeah. that's the kind of play you get. You get fast, tricky wingers that can't put across enough finish. And as soon as they start doing that, they get snapped up by the Premier League teams. Do you have anything else on these two games? Um, I was just looking at my notes. I, I, I wanted to uh, comment a little bit. I, th- I thought, uh, let's talk about the own goal. Uh, I, I actually thought it was a really good save by Westwood. His age to kind of arch <laughs> that way and kind of tip it away. And then he probably obviously... hurt himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be for the next six He's months. going to be out now. Uh, I just felt it was like a really... It was the stupid foul that we gave away again. Um, I think it was Burner, right? Uh, yeah. Maybe it gave away the free kick in the first place. And we do it to ourselves every single game. It's our own doing that uh, causes the goal rather than maybe yes, Norwich. We had a bit of uh, skill against us, but a lot of the time it's just us being shit that gives us um, the goal away. And then old, uh, old horse got in the way of the <laughs> reflection and I don't think he'd get his... Uh, it's horse me out of the way. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? If, if Callum Patterson didn't exist in some theoretical other world, their winger would have been tapping at it. <laughs> ball anyway. So really tough, tough luck for, for horse for getting in the way. But that's, that's how this whole season's been, man. I mean, it's who, who was, were you surprised? Yeah. I mean, like, if it wasn't that, it would be some <laughs> other like ball carrying off the, post and then off Liam Palmer's ass and in the goal or something. It'll be some stupid goal. I mean, I'm surprised the they didn't give that pen to uh, Lee's 
which Jeff, I think you pointed out today. Uh, it's probably because uh, the winger lost the ball. I looked but, at it on uh, replay. I, there wasn't actually, he like really made a meal of it. He just kind of ran into him, but yeah, I've seen it. Get right. If the, exactly. But if the touch had been a little bit closer to him, you could at least like say he was trying to play the ball. Most of the um, end here, something about a new manager bounces because we saw Lee Bowyer get a win for Birmingham <laughs> uh, tonight, which effectively gives us nine, we're nine points out of uh, safety now, even with the game in hand. Um, and I feel like our players are numb to change. Uh, right, that's the other thing. It's like mm, constant we, chaos. Like yeah. you can't really like we don't do new manager change. bounces yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because they're, they're just done. They're done with yeah. change. It's constant change. They they don't get a, a push anymore from it because they've seen too much of it. Uh, and they're all the same players that have been here for the last right. two years. If you're Adam years. Reach, you've seen like nine managers now. Like, Yeah. He's going to be sick to death. Yeah. Well, sick we got a death, new though. manager bounce after Pulis, which makes sense. I mean, mm. that, was, that made everybody excited. <laughs> Let's get away from that. <laughs> Ding but. dong, the witch is dead. I mean, Pulis said it himself. <laughs> Pulis saw they weren't changing and adapting to his uh, tactics. Yeah, it was bad tactics and a bad manager. But he said, look, they don't want to do it. They don't want to change. So you got the fuck out. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but, <laughs> and they have at least been effective tactics when teams have bought in in the past. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But I just feel like that's what we don't get any money bounces because we've no. got teams that we've got players that are fed up with change. All right, let's take a break, and we come back. What is Wednesday news and preview the fixture this weekend and the and the glorious, glorious international break, which means we don't have to do a show. <laughs> Now it's time for some Wednesday news. And Patty, you're going to take over here because you want to discuss as our supporters group representative talk about the uh, minutes of the engagement meeting from February. Yes. So um, as you may remember, if you listen to the podcast and follow us on, on social media, uh, Alice Americas were asked to join the supporters engagement panel alongside a number of other groups and individuals. Um, we had our first uh, meeting with the club on the 13th of February. Uh, I could not attend as it was at four in the morning US time. And I was outvoted as far as what was an appropriate time to meet. <laughs> it seems to be happening a lot. But I did uh, certainly have input into the agenda uh, and the questions that we were uh, asking the chairman and Trevor Braithwaite, who are the representatives of the club. Uh, and I want to talk about a couple of the points that came out of the minutes. You can see these on the website now. If you go to the website and look at supporters engagement panel, the minutes are all there. We're trying to be as transparent as possible. And, and I'll reiterate the kind of goals of this engagement panel. It's to really kind of have a two-way conversation with the chairman uh, and Trevor, who's there as the director of communications, uh, put two suggestions uh, to the club uh, and to have questions answered from our representatives, right? So obviously as Alza America's representative, I represent you guys that listen to the podcast and you guys that are in the Americas and part of our support groups. So, uh, please uh, get in touch with us if you have specific questions or suggestions that you think you want to put in front of the chairman where we have we are making an agenda for the next meeting this week uh, so it's a really good time uh, to get in touch with us at alzamericas uh, at gmail.com or on twitter alzamericas or on facebook alzamericas uh, i wanted to cover a couple of points that came out of the first meeting uh, and it starts off in a bizarre fashion uh, and I wanted to clear it up because I don't think a lot of people spoke about this on online. I've seen a lot of talk about the strategy and things like that. But we started off this uh, process uh, with uh, 
the supporters trust uh, sending out an email to their members uh, before the first official panel uh, about how they were unhappy with the way that the agenda was being built and the, some of the terms of the club weren't um, hitting. This was then published on Owl's Talk. Uh, and for me, before the panel had even met with the chairman, it was a really negative uh, and a weird thing to come out with uh, members and post on social media. And it was some, against what we agreed to do as part of the uh, panel uh, uh, groups as well. So we were all a little surprised by it. Uh, we know that Supports Trust has got a lot of history with the club. They've been working to get this up in the first place. Uh, so I understand from their point of view that they're a little disillusioned about their communication with the club. Uh, however, I personally was upset with the way they sent this email out to their members and posted on social media uh, to almost uh, provoke a negative uh, feeling uh, between the supporters engagement panel uh, and the club before we'd even set off on this journey. So, so the first point in this agenda point is around how we uh, the club have brought in a, uh, a mediation uh, with the Football Supporters Association and they had a mediation process uh, with the FSA and the trust to sort out the differences it was kind of like a couple's counseling uh, that they had with one of the biggest uh, supporters groups the part of this thing so really interesting way to start things off a bit bizarre did not endear myself to the trust even though i was a member uh, it feels a little weird the way they operate I, I really do like what they're trying to do the trust how they're doing it don't necessarily agree with right now and it certainly put the backs up of the club uh, we do believe that this mediation process has uh, uh, has helped and resolved and those things have been put to bed. Uh, but it was a rocky start to this engagement panel process. And it's all muted on the website. You can read what happened. Uh, I've, I've read through if you're interested in that kind of stuff. But I would just say, my point of view, the way the trust went about things was wrong. Other things that happened in this meeting, <clears throat> again, this particular panel forum I wasn't part of, I was part of the build-up to it and agenda building, that kind of stuff too. I'm still part of the WhatsApp group. I will be part of it going forward too as well. Uh, the other thing that's come out to it, we asked about club strategy, of course. Uh, we asked them to identify uh, their short-term, medium, and long-term plan. Uh, in my opinion, uh, it didn't give a good enough uh, answer to this one. It's all on the website, what he said to us. Uh we asked him to name his senior management team and, and DC listed those people. Uh, it, it's very, very light. There's not a lot of people in it. Uh, when, you, when you're mentioning the head chef as part of your senior management team, you've got to worry a little bit. Um, so we're asking for more information around, <laughs> around that. <laughs> uh, uh, that was part of the senior management team. There is barely anyone to do with on-field uh, matters in this senior management team. It's it's mainly admin and communications and things like that, uh, which says a lot, obviously. Uh, big question around ticket and refunds. People actually go to the games back home. Uh, staff currently working from home, so they're trying to engage and get us as fast as possible. That was the answer there. there. And then we asked a question about the future as a Wednesday fan post-COVID. Uh, not much around that. Again, we read the minutes online. I just wanted to draw attention to those kind of big points that came out of it. Uh, it did feel, uh, I feel generally the sense from our representatives that are in the meeting, we're trying to be transparent, we're trying to get our 
And if you anyone that's not part of these groups, just ask us to ask your question. You don't have to be on this panel to get a question answered. We'll guarantee we'll we'll get you your question answered at some point. Um, and but a lot of things, I don't know. It feels very muddy. The answers we're getting back at the moment. Um, we're trying to build a relationship with the chairman, trying to gain his trust, uh, but also hold him accountable uh, and make sure that uh, what he's doing is right for Sheffield Wednesday. And I've been very clear on this podcast. I don't think what he has been doing has been, has been the right way. So we're constantly putting suggestions forward to him, uh, and we'll see what happens uh, in their ongoing ways. It's a very very weird time to be doing this as you can imagine uh so uh yeah by all means get in touch with us and uh, we should represent your views and comments justin you put your hand up well yeah no patty i I had a question you said that uh in in response to the question what the short medium and long-term uh plans were for the team that uh the chairman seemed rather uh vague about it why do you think that is patty He said that um, that it's uh, football's a unique business, uh, and with budgets made on a season by season basis. He said similar things in the past. It's it's for me, it's a bit of a cop out uh, in that you I don't think, think he, yeah, I don't think he's necessarily got a long term plan. Um, <clears throat> I do think he's very right in the way that um, football clubs are expected to lose money, and the EFL are not doing much in the way to. Uh, help their businesses grow. He holds them accountable um, quite highly, and I think probably quite rightly, as being some as being the the, the group that should be helping these clubs survive. Um, so he, he does have a lot to say about the EFL, um, but yeah, I just we get the impression. I, I got I got the impression, not we. I got the impression uh, that he feels like the money's running out a little bit. Uh, and he has to tighten the purse a little bit just because of COVID, because of the impending relegation. Uh, this was a month ago, so it wasn't nailed on at that point. Uh, but it pretty much is now, right? So I feel like um, he was still optimistic back then that we could get out of the situation. Um, but I explained that he's always looking to generate revenue, always looking to uh, uh, facilitate particular improvements, uh, where feasible, um, but again, nothing specific. So we're going to try and hammer him down on that. This this meeting, by the way, is like two or three hours long. Again, um, it's been whittled down to these minutes here. That's, that's all I want to play. You guys on this week, and then we'll talk about the uh, next meeting when we get some of this booked in. But for now, please get in touch with us to uh, give us your your feedback on the process. If you have any questions, you want to ask me about how it's going. I'll try to be as honest as I can be. I can only talk about these minutes once they're out in the public. I can't talk about them until that point. So that's why it's taken a month for us to comment on these things. Uh, but yeah, give us a shout. As is tradition, it's now time for an injury update. Uh, che Dunkley, as Patty already mentioned, has been rolled out with a hamstring issue for the next few weeks. Uh, Van Aken is on the mend. And Andre Green, remember him? Is on the bench for the Huddersfield game, although he did not see any action. Van Aken would be a... He could play out from the back. Sure. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> this is one, one guy. I, one I, like, guy I've, I said it. this, uh, I think, last week, too, but I thought, after, especially after he came on uh, today, like, Ergi Hide can do this fine, and he actually has, like, a... Like, he's... 
he's still a little, I don't want to say a little young and reckless at times with the ball, but he's also able to actually beat his man, which nobody else in the back line can do. Or create space or create to space, make that yes. pass, right? right. Yeah. Um, no, and you know what? We Have we re-signed him? Is that part of the news? Of it's this not in the news segment we this week. Him up? Yeah. Damn. Mm. <laughs> Maybe next week. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like the fact that Justin gets his news from our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You'll be the first to know. You want to set up a Google alert, Justin? You'll be the first to know. I'll tag you in the WhatsApp group if and when. Dear God. Or he signs a new contract with Wednesday. Uh, I have a bad feeling I know exactly when we're going to sign him. Hmm. By the way, I think it was uh, it was great in his cameo today. Once uh, coming over Hutch, I thought it was. Yeah. That's most games I've seen him in the season has been great. He's he's the only defender that comes and attacks the ball and blocks shots and blocks crosses. The rest of them kind of wait a bit too long for my liking. He's very um, up and at him. That's the kind of attitude I want. As far as other potential backline options go, Danny Simpson was on trial with the under twenty threes this week. In the game, they lost 3-1 to Coventry, so it's not really... With, like, a really strong lineup, too, like Fizz and Izzy Brown and I think another fairly regular first-team player was in the squad as well. Uh, Justin, you have some thoughts on that, which I will echo. Yeah, no, and it's not... um, You know, and and Patty, uh, uh, Dominic Stevenson, who was on uh, with you a little while ago, uh, talking about his book and, and some of the mental health stuff uh, had some great posts online this week when the news that came out where, you know, he said he wrote directly to the, the club and the chairman to say, we don't want any part of this man who has was legally convicted of uh, spousal abuse or uh, domestic abuse rather. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things that can be challenging in the sense that, you know, people make mistakes and people can reform themselves and, and all of that jazz. But you know what? Sheffield Wednesday does not need right now somebody who has a past history of beating the shit out of their domestic partner. And it's just, I, I get the fuck as far away from that as you can. There's zero need to get involved with people like that. Um, I hope that he's reformed. I hope that since this uh, incident, his life has changed and he has uh, done a lot to attempt to make up for what he did. But uh, there's we're we're enough of a mess right now. We have enough ugliness going on. The last thing we need to do is get involved with shitheads like that. There is a path back for these people. I I don't want to. You know, but it, it it's like a real it has to be like a real reckoning. And I think a lot of times athletes just don't ever really have to engage with that because there's always somebody if you're a high level athlete, there's always somebody willing to look the other way or, or overlook that. And because, well, you know, there's only so many good players out there or something that can that can do a job for us. And it just becomes you don't want that. Like, look, the team's getting relegated, and they can choose how they, how the rest of the season goes, basically. And I would prefer they make a different choice than Danny Simpson at this point. 
you know, not to get too far off the point or to belabor this point even, but a great example for me of a, a somebody who actually learned and changed was uh, Michael Vick, the uh, NFL player who uh, had been arrested and was, you know, kicked off his team for dog abuse. He grew up in a culture where that's what you did. You raised dogs to dog fight and he clearly never got the signal that it was not okay and he suffered for it and served time and was punished and what did he do after it he has since come out publicly and repeatedly talked about how he learned that this was wrong and thinks that it's wrong he has spent lots of money supporting causes that defend these animals he has volunteered at shelters i believe he opened his own he has started scholarships he has done a lot of things to demonstrate that this is something that makes him feel bad um and then you get mlb is a great example we've got a lot of these athletes recently who you know the roberto azunas or the uh or all chapman's these guys who they they've done nothing to suggest that they are putting legitimate effort into making up for their past transgressions. Um, again, I, I, you know, what Simpson did was, is completely and utterly unacceptable. And, you know, he deserves punishment for it. I'm, I'm open to, you know, seeing the side of forgiving somebody and allowing them to, to come back. But, you know, there's gotta be some serious effort made on the part of somebody to recognize their mistake and, and to frankly spend the rest of their life making up for something that severe. Moving on to some upcoming... <laughs> Please like, do. Yeah, I like to, there's no good transition from that. Sorry. <laughs> Moving on to the upcoming fixtures. <laughs> Wednesday, despite being uh, 23rd in the league table, last I checked, I've gotten two more games selected for TV. Cardiff City and QPR, real barn burners there too. Yeah, uh, as Patty put in the notes, the relegation will be televised. I, almost exactly. Right? I think that's the time of what we're three weeks away from that, two weeks away from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I, th- I think by that point, that, that would be a crucial week, uh, two weeks, a crucial week. So it's April fifth is Easter Monday. It's a twelve thirty kickoff uh, over here. I think five thirty in England. I might have got that wrong, but uh, the QPR game is on the tenth of April. Uh, it's 10 a.m. our time, so keeping it at 3 p.m. in the UK, both on Sky, and therefore both on ESPN Plus in the US. Yeah, uh, it's not going to be a good, good kind of feeling. Although April 10th, uh, that's the day that I am fully vaccinated, so I might go into football factory to watch the QPR game. You're supposed to uh, wait two weeks, Patty. No, that's that's the day after. My oh, that's the day. Okay, gotcha. gotcha yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm good to go in the football factory on April 10th and uh, breathing that lovely unventilated <laughs> yeah, air. If you've ever spent a uh, last day of the Premier League season in the football factory, you don't have to worry about what's in the COVID vaccine, basically. <laughs> the joke goes. <laughs> Before that, we do have a non-ESPN Plus game to preview, and that would be Barnsley, who <laughs> might be getting promoted into the Premier League. Justin. Yeah, they're in fifth place right now uh, with a three-to-one win today. Um, Their form is outstanding. They are uh, five and one in their last six, which six games the traditional form table. Uh, 
in their last 12, well, let's start with their last 10. They have nine wins and one draw, which gives them the best form in the championship, even over Norwich. In the last 12, they have nine wins and three draws, which gives them the best form in the championship over the over that period. They are smoking hot. If you remember, uh, uh, last time we played them was a two to one loss at Hillsborough. Uh, Windass with an early goal. Uh, I believe a header on a cross from Bannon, where uh, they immediately equalized with a header from Collie Woodrow. Um, and then one of their other forwards scored in the 37th minute. That was a game that uh, Dominic Iorfa was 12 minutes away from making it safely through the game. Um, and instead blew out his Achilles and was done for the year. And that game ended with Tony Pulis making a lot of whiny, crying noises about how unfair things were and how close they were to being successful, which was not true. Um, so Barnsley has become, and this is just disgusting to say this out loud and to hear it and think about it, but Barnsley has become a quite the media darling uh, around uh football for the neutrals, uh, especially amongst Americans, which I'll get into for a minute, um, in a minute. But uh, Barnsley plays a frantic, uh, aggressive pressing style. Uh, I believe Wayne Rooney, after they drew nil-nil with Derby, where Derby sat back in a shell, uh, Rooney said he'd never seen a team play football like that in his entire career. And Wayne Rooney has seen a lot of football. Um, they have a very intense pressing system, very high up the pitch. They like to get after it with the front three. Um, they can be vulnerable to counters over the top. So for some reason, we're able to stop them offensively. Uh, you know, maybe we can lump one long as we saw today. That can be effective, but uh, they're very quick and direct on the counters. Uh, they're very narrow uh, with the ball. Uh, the wing backs are the only players who uh who really stay out wide um and, and those wing backs are really key for them uh one of them is uh callum styles a 20 year old uh, left wing back four goals two assists um he's, he's quite a fancy player i'm a i'm a fan i we saw him a couple of years ago for the first time when they'd come back up and uh he looked quite good um and i believe connor chaplains on the other side either way the wing backs will create width uh, the players come in up front so their main man has been collie woodrow who uh 11 goals and four assists and he's the guy who who does the damage for them um although they have a center back with five goals which when you look at our lineup is really unfortunate um but they've recently brought up uh two guys uh, uh carlton morris has finally been getting some playing time for them. Limited time, 600 minutes or so this year. He's got five goals and two assists playing up front. And then for the Americans in the audience, uh, Daryl Dyke, a 20-year-old who won the uh, whatever the college soccer player of the year is at Virginia. Uh, he won that award just this past year. Uh, was signed by Orlando City, I believe, and loaned out through the rest of the season to... Uh, Barnsley, and he's immediately come in and scored five goals. That in, explains why Barnsley you know, is constantly like, on NBC Sports Soccer, which is essentially a uh, <laughs> USA men's national team hype site now. So, Yeah, no, I mean, he's a big, strong kid. 
and, mm-hmm. and can finish. Um, and, and all of this credit really needs to go to uh, Valerian Ismail, who when we played them the first time, he had only had a couple games under his belt, having replaced Struber. Um, you know, I remember specifically laughing at the fact that Barnsley fans were chirping up the Struber train before the year and it had fallen apart. And now they got some guy who'd been kicked out of coaching in France for breaching COVID protocol. Well, that guy has this team in the best form in the league and uh, ready to do some damage on us. Um, la- last point I'd like to make about Barnsley that funny enough, I made last time, uh, I believe, because I think, yeah, we were in the Pulis era of just trash. But I'm going to read right now uh, the ages of Barnsley's uh, players. And these are their players by the most minutes so i'll just start kind of going down but you've got a 23 year old center back you've got a 26 year old uh midfielder 25 year old center back a 23 year old winger 26 year old forward a 20 year old left back a 30 year old uh center back a 22 year old goalkeeper a 24 year old attacking uh winger a 21 year old defender a 23 year old forward uh, and then when you get right down to the two recent additions in Morris and Dyke, they're 25 and 20, respectively. Um, this is a team that is successful, full of young players, uh, attacking, exciting football. Uh, Barnsley is everything that we wish we were. And that in itself is such a massive damnation of this entire era. My God. Okay, that's yep. enough of this. How podcast. you guys feeling? We're done. And they had We're their done. manager post midway through season two. We're done. We're done here. <laughs> so will uh... we win? <laughs> no. We're, we're, not, we're not going to win. Daddy, I'm sorry. sorry. I thought you're leading to a big reveal saying, and this is how we win. Mm. No. Just well, I, I will say last last point that actually is good. Alex Moet is the engine of their team in the uh, central midfield, and he picked up a red card today. So they will be without Alex Moet, which, again, Jesus, six goals and seven assists. Like, that's, you know, neither of those numbers are staggering, but you put them together, and that's a, it's a nice little output from the middle of your pitch. You've been listening to episode 131 of the Owls Americast. You can find us on the internet at owlsamericas.com. Email the show at owlsamericas at gmail.com. Find and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at owlsamericas. Our podcast intro and bumpers by fellow Wednesdays, Reverend and the Makers. The podcast is on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show, just do what feels right. Wherever you choose to consume the Owls Americast, we ask that you rate and review the show as it helps more Wednesdays find our ramblings. Justin is on Twitter at Owl. Justin, I'm just uh, realizing, I think as we record this, this is a full year of podcasts in quarantine. How are you holding up? Uh, been better. <laughs> Uh, man, I go up and down. I, I know I've talked about it on here before. You know, I'm somebody who's suffered from mental health issues, specifically depression, uh, a lot over the course of my life. Um, so things come and things go. And, uh, you know, I, I'd say recently, the last few weeks have been pretty shitty. And then, 
you know what? The last few days, uh, things have sort of turned around a little bit to the point where even a game like today didn't didn't even knock me for a loop. It just mm-hmm. is what it is. You know, we'll we'll keep moving forward. So, but thanks for asking, Jeff. It's always a always a good thing for people. I've always said that like Wednesday has like basically jaded me to the point where I can't, like I watch the game today. I'm just like I'm watching a Wednesday game. Do 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 do. Like I sat there in front of the laptop. I'm like yeah, this is this is what I do. I guess it is. That is what we do, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> Patty is on Twitter at Patty A Jones and at New York Owls. Patty, when you go back to the football factory for that ESPN Plus game, what's the first beer you're gonna order? As you know, Jeff, the uh, beer choices of Football Factory <laughs> legendary bad. Um, I stick to something usually basic, so either Magnus or a Stella. That's as adventurous as I get there. Um, he does actually pour a decent Guinness. I'll give him, yeah. I'll give him that. So Guinness is a good shout too. I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. My Football Factory drink of choice is a Newcastle Brown Ale. I won't be seeing that for a while, but we will see you back here. Maybe not next week because the international break, but at some point after Wednesday play again. <laughs>